The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So sometimes, maybe you have this idea, it would be good to meditate. I should learn to meditate. I hear it's good. People are talking about it. and Set the intention, I'm going to do it. Maybe you have done it, had some good experiences. But sometimes the last thing you want to do is meditate. The last thing you want to do is sit down. The last thing you want to do is be still. So even though you had made a commitment to yourself, okay, every morning at 8 a.m. I'm going to meditate, 8 a.m. arises, shows up, and that's not what you want to do is meditate. You don't feel like you want to pay attention to something that at that moment seems so irrelevant, a breath or a sounds. You may have these ideas that life is full of all kinds of things, lots of important things to do, lots of important things to think about, people to talk to, people to care about and interact with. And or maybe we just don't want to be with that thing those thoughts or those emotions, whatever it might be. There's lots of reasons why there might be the last thing we want to do is sit down and meditate. Even though we had set this intention that we want to do this, even though we may know that it's beneficial and can be helpful, we may be telling us ourselves that it just, just isn't the best use of our time. We have some other better things to do. But this is something that's really fantastic about mindfulness meditation. Everything, 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 without exception, can be included in our meditation even the idea that the last thing we want to do is meditate. Even the sense of resistance, maybe even resentment. Like, why, why did I say I was going to do that? I don't want to do it. Even the, maybe there's a feeling of wanting some, in some way, self-sabotage ourselves that we don't even quite understand. We can be mindful of that. We don't actually even have to get to the cushion. We could just include that as part of our mindfulness practice. So including everything is part of what makes mindfulness meditation, dare I say this word, kind of like sacred, special. If we're only going to pay attention to you know, certain things that are pleasant and that we like and that we plan to, that's just our regular mundane life. But if we're going to do mindfulness meditation, it's to be, embrace, look at, welcome all of our lives, all aspects of it, even that part that has a lot of resistance and doesn't want to meditate. So as soon as we put up exclusions, as soon as we set up kind of like boundaries, like this is, this is off limits, this is okay, then we're, it's, we're just following maybe our preferences and is, maybe we're just being aware of our life a little bit more attentively. But something special, something, um, we all use this word sacred. You can interpret that however you like, can occur when we are allowing everything, everything. So of course, everything includes our thoughts, which of course is the resistance we're experiencing, our thoughts. may also be feelings too. There may be a bodily sense, there may be emotions, but most likely there's thoughts. This is a waste of time. I don't want to do this. There's other things that should be, I should be doing. 
These are just thoughts. Thoughts arise and pass away, right? Thoughts are discrete events. And they can be incorporated into our mindfulness practice just like everything else. I heard that uh, scientists estimate we have 70,000 thoughts a day. That's a big number, 70,000. So, of course, thoughts, we can be mindfulness of thoughts. We would be missing a big part of our lives if we were ignoring 70,000 different events. So just like we can be mindful of breathing or mindful of sensations of the body, we can also be mindful of thoughts, thinking. However, so I'll talk about this later, just how to do this, but it can be a little bit tricky for a number of reasons. And one is that our thoughts can be so authoritative. They feel real. They are real. We are having them. I, maybe I should say this. They feel true. Like This is the absolute truth. I'm thinking it, so of course it's true. So we have a, they have a lot of authority because we think that they're true. I'll talk about this a little bit more. They also have authority because usually the content of our thoughts, if not really directly, is indirectly about our favorite subject. Me, I, me, myself, and mine. Right, so somehow they have this juiciness, this compelling there to them because they're about us. We may be identified with them. They may be ways to solve problems, we think, or they may be protecting some view we have about ourselves. Or they may be some way that's how we're going to finally find that source of lasting happiness. But however, if our thoughts are unattended, if we don't, aren't really aware of them, they really push us around. Just like we may have some ideas like, I'm like I don't feel like meditating. And if we don't recognize, that, oh, okay, this is a thought, it's perfectly natural thought, there's no reason why you should feel like you want to meditate every time that you had said that you were going to. And if we don't notice them, if we kind of allow them to just, with their authoritative voice or stance, that they can make us do things, make us interpret things, make us say things that perhaps we wouldn't say if we were having, just happened to be having different types of thoughts. For example, if you're at work and you leave your boss's office, oh, I'm sorry, you go to your boss's office, and she says, wow, you're doing a great job, and I just wanted to give you this uh, other project that you really wanted, and I'm going to give you a raise, and why don't you take a week off before you start, you know, just because you've been doing so great. And then you kind of walk out of the office, you know, feeling good and happy. You see one of your friends in the distance, and she doesn't wave her hand and say hello as you kind of wave to say hello to her. And you might think, oh, I hope she's doing okay. Maybe she's just lost in thought. She seems distracted. But you go, you're happy about uh, what you just heard from your boss and maybe a little bit concerned about your friend. And make a note that you'll um, touch base with her later. Now consider that you went to your boss's office and you got a different message. We're really disappointed in your performance and we're going to take you off this project and think you were going to, would like you to work a little extra hours, I don't know, whatever it might be, right? Something that's just like this kind of maybe deflated feeling like, oh, ouch. Same thing happens. You leave, you're in the hallway, you've, your friend wave to her, she doesn't wave back, and you think like, what's her problem? (laughs) Or 
if what's wrong with me, I knew she didn't like me. She only used to wave to me or be nice to me in the past because she felt sorry for me or I don't know, right? We can have completely different sets of thoughts with the exact same scenario of like walking in the hallway, seeing with our friends, just depending on what was the preceding event, which is true, which is accurate. We don't know. We don't know. If we were if it was a different situation, we would have had different thoughts. We would have interpreted it differently. This is how thoughts work. They arise and they pass away. And they're influenced by our emotions. They're influenced by our attitudes. They're influenced by whether we're hungry or not, whether we've slept or not. If you're half of the human population whose hormones cycle on a 30-day cycle, maybe be where you are in your cycle. Our thought, you know, thoughts, they sometimes can feel so authoritative and substantial and true. But when we think about them or really look at them, we start to see that they're not as substantial and true and they don't need to be as authoritative. So if we can uh, bring some mindfulness to our thoughts, whether it's formally while we're sitting on a cushion or just in our daily life, going about doing whatever we're doing, not in a formal meditation posture, then we can, hold, we can have a chance to hold our thoughts differently with some greater wisdom, with some greater ease, to ho- hold them with an open hand instead of kind of with this fist, like, this is true. So like... Okay, this is what I'm experiencing right now. This is what's occurring in my brain right now. And as a rule, as I said, we are very attached to our thoughts and our feelings, whatever they may be, whether they're unpleasant or pleasant. We tend to be very attached to them. And we tend to relate to their content unquestioningly. But our thoughts, they may be at least somewhat, if not highly, inaccurate. Just because we tend to look at them through our kind of like our self-centered, our self-serving inclinations. Of course we do. We tend to view our thoughts through maybe our ambitions, our aversions, our preferences. Or our this tendency we have to ignore the things that we don't like. Of course, this is part of the human experience. We do this with all of our thoughts. Of course, there's a frame of reference in which we see them, which kind of influences them. So there are two ways that we can work with thoughts in meditation and in daily life. Two really different ways. You may find that one way is easier and more accessible than another way. One is to look at the process of thinking. That is, to look at what does it feel like? What's the experience of having a thought? Completely independent of the content. It doesn't matter what you're thinking about. How does it feel to think? What are thoughts? What's the sensations in the body associated with thinking? For example, many of us have our thoughts either as images or sounds. That's how you know you're having a thought. So sometimes, instead of being lost in the thought, we can just very gently ask the question, like in a very curious way, oh, wait, so how, well, how, what is this thought? Is this an image or is it a sound? If it's an image, is it really clear, crystal clear? Is it kind of fuzzy? Is it in really technicolor or is it sepia tones, maybe gray? If they're images... Where is the screen that these images are being projected on? 
That may sound like an odd question, but if you were to inquire, you may discover that, well, I'm pretty sure it's not in my ankles, it's not in my elbows, it's not in, maybe, it's not in my hips, probably. I don't know. Most, many of us find that there's like a screen somehow, like in front of us somehow, or maybe inside or behind or something like that. But just this gentle inquiry, this gentle curiosity, is a way that we can kind of like disengage from the content of the thought and more look at the experience of thinking. And the experience of thinking is happening now, is happening here. Whereas our thought may be about the future, or maybe about the past, or maybe about something, some fantasy that we're completely lost in. In the same way with sounds, we can very gently inquire, is this at a particular voice? Is this a voice I recognize? Is it my voice? Is it somebody else's voice? Are they yelling at me? How is the tone of the voice? I know there's one meditation teacher who um, gives instructions about thoughts to note them. He calls it seeing in or hearing in. And when you see something, he calls that seeing out. So seeing out and seeing in. Hearing out, it's like if you were to hear my voice, and hearing in are like thoughts. Just making this, kind of blurring some of the distinction between our other experiences that we have. In the Buddhist um, depiction of the human being, humans have six senses instead of five. And that sixth sense is the mind. So just like how ears hear sounds, noses smell odors, minds think thoughts in exactly the same way. So that's the first way that we can work with thoughts, is to let the content take care of themselves and not uh, worry about the content, and instead to look at the process. What is, what is it like to think? Maybe it's helpful to think, uh, to feel how it is in your body. There may be a certain um, energetic buzziness about it, or there may be some, I'll just use that word, energetic buzziness. I can't think of anything else. <laughs> Right thinking can have that uh, feeling about it. The next is to look at the content, and to, but to look at it in a particular way, because thoughts, as you know, are, can be very compelling and kind of slippery too. Right? It's so easy to just get lost in thought and off we go. So one of the first ways that we can look at the content again with this very gentle curiosity, is to ask ourselves, is this thought true? Usually the answer is yes, of course it's true. And then we can just gently inquire, is it really, really true? Is there another way that we can look at this? Is this 100% true? And if you find, yes, 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 this is a fact, this is an event that actually happened, and there's evidence pointing to this, and then maybe you could ask yourself a different question. What does buying into this thought do to me? What does my believing this thought, what effect does it have on me? Does it help? Is it working? whatever working means at that time. So just again, to kind of like notice if, uh, what effect the thought is having. Is it the thought, it's type of effect that you would like, that you want to cultivate and develop and will help you have a better life, be a better person, increase your wisdom, compassion? If not, maybe we can just uh, lessen some of our holding on to it so tightly it's like, oh, okay, this is what the thoughts that are in the mind right now, this is what's arising right now, without really holding on to it, like this is the truth, like, no, okay, here's a thought that's 
I'm experiencing. Maybe you could, maybe you could simply label it as thinking. Oh, this is a thought. This is thinking. A second way to look at the content, again, in kind of a, sp- a more specific way, in order to talk about this, I'll give a little bit of a simile. So you can imagine that uh, maybe you've gone for your a hike and it's the afternoon and you're sitting on a, the side of a river and you feel very happy, very content. The weather is just perfect. Feel comfortable. There's maybe a little breeze. You had lunch. You feel content. And you're just watching the river go by, just watching the water go by, maybe listening to the sounds. And then you see this warship coming down and there's these big cannons on it and there's a lot of spying on it and they're doing military drills on this. And before you know it, you've jumped on this boat, on this warship, and you're planning too how they're going to take care of whatever this terrible thing is. And off you go down the river on this warship doing whatever one does on a warship. You may be on this warship for quite some time a minute, 10 minutes, an hour, a day, a decade. <laughs> of course, you're not on it all the time, but there just may be this feeling, right? And then somehow you kind of wake up and you realize, oh, 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 I actually was on the riverbank and it was so content and happy. And you go back to the riverbank. What a relief. And then here comes a party boat with all this music and food and dancing and movies and internet and all kinds of things, everything you ever thought you wanted. And psh, there you go on that boat. And here you are lying, uh, going down the river, having a great time singing, dancing, surfing the internet, whatever it is. And then you wake up and realize, oh, I'm on this boat, and this is actually kind of exhausting and taxing, and I was so content. I was so relaxed sitting on the riverbank. So you find yourself back on the riverbank. And then there's this poor, beat-up raft that just barely afloat, held together by shoestring and bubble gum, you know, that type of thing, and... Before you know it, you're on this raft trying to fix it and get all the water off and trying to make sure that it doesn't uh, sink. Trying so hard to make sure this raft doesn't sink. And down you go on the river on this for a while. And then you wake up and realize, oh, I don't actually need to be on this boat. I could be back on the riverbank. So I think probably this simile is obvious. We could be here and now, experiencing what we're experiencing with as much ease as available to us. But so often we're caught on these boats. And we may have our favorite boats. I talked about three. We may, there may be a sailboat that means something in particular for you or you know all of us have our own preferences or our own habits what kind of thoughts what family of thoughts do we have are we out to like this this war that we're going to win the battle are we just going to be entertaining and entertain just amuse ourselves are we going to just try to have this feeling like oh everything is just at the as terrible as happening and I need to fix this just so it can stay afloat. So this is a second way to work with content is just to notice. And maybe we can use a little uh, note. Oh yeah, here's entertainment. Here's battling. Here's struggling. Whatever it might be. 
And sometimes just with that simple note, that may be sufficient to take some of the energy, some of the power of it, and some of the uh, uh, thoughts can be less compelling. I'll add to this as today, as advertisers are getting more and more savvy about how to hack our preferences, right? They're learning not, uh, you know, so much of our life that's being experienced online and so much of it is these days. As they're, they may learn our preferences, they may learn our habits, our attitudes better than we do. If we don't take the time to learn about ourselves, what are our habits? What are the inclinations of our minds? Just to be aware, just to know ourselves. I think now it's more important than ever to really understand ourselves. Just so that we can't be manipulated and influenced as easily. Then a third way that we can work with content is to notice that if we, if noticing looking at the process or looking at the content somehow isn't helpful when we're having some difficult thoughts that are just recurring, 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 and they're painful and uncomfortable and difficult. Thoughts of the events, events in the past or of the future. As best you can, don't run from it. Don't judge it. Don't try to change it. See if as best you can, can you notice what's happening here? Is there an emotion that's underneath this thought that's fueling it, that's keeping it recurring? Maybe it's not obvious. Or you could also inquire, is there a bodily sensation that's underneath this thought? Maybe there's a tightness in the chest. Maybe there's an openness of the chest. Maybe the shoulders go up. Maybe there's a tightness in the belly. Maybe there's some tension in the jaw. Just to notice if, if there's difficult thoughts that seem recurring and compelling, can you just open to it as best you can and just gently inquire, is there some emotions and or some bodily sensations associated with it? The emotions and bodily sensations are connected. We may have access to one or the other, or both. You don't have to dig for it. This is just a gentle inquiry. And then once you find a bodily sensation, then maybe you can do mindfulness of the bodily sensation. And that way it takes some of the energy and the power out of the thoughts and allows us to maybe be with this sensation in the belly. And then with the sensation of the belly, maybe there can be a little bit more relaxation. Just be with the feeling. And then you can allow your awareness to move between, like maybe there's thoughts and a sensation in the body. Maybe there's an emotion. Maybe it's clear, maybe it isn't. There's that feeling there again. Oh, there's that thought again. And you can just allow your awareness to kind of move between these. And you'll notice that things are changing and shifting. It's not always exactly the same when you go back to the thoughts. Maybe the emotional valence, the emotional tone is the same, but if, as you start to pay attention, you notice like, oh yeah, it's changing a little bit. And that also can help support us. Like, okay, this thought, it feels like I'm having it nonstop, but in fact, there is some changes there. So... We may feel like we may have ideas of resentment or resistance. I don't want to meditate. We can notice it's just a thought. And we can meditate with thoughts. We can be mindful of our thoughts. We can be mindful with looking at the process, images or sounds. Or we can look at the content, not the specifics of the content, But we could look at, for example, we could gently inquire, is this really true? 
And if we feel like it is true, how is my being tangled up with this thought serving me or not serving me? And sometimes just that uh, inquiry will help shift things. Another way, second way to look at content is to look at are there kind of these boats or change analogies, are there thought trains that we like to get on? Sometimes, and then just maybe like, oh, there's worry again, there's battle plans again. Whatever it is, sometimes just noticing that can take some of the power out of them. And then the third one is if the the content is really compelling, as best you can to be with it and to inquire into the bodily sensations and or emotions. Okay, so with that as an introduction, I'd like to lead us in a guided meditation. If anybody feels like they'd like to get up and move and change where they are, or even if you want to stand up for a minute to get more comfortable or something, you're welcome to do that now. There's plenty of room up here too if people want to move up. If if you're if you're comfortable where you are, that's fine too. But Okay. So let's start by taking an alert upright posture. If you're lying down, can you have some alertness with your supine position? If you're sitting up, can you have some uprightness in your spine without being tense, without being uptight or straining, but with a certain amount of energy and intention? And let's start by taking a few deep breaths. just as a way to connect with the body. Perhaps with the exhale, there's some relaxation, some letting go. And in the beginning of our meditation, we can set our attitude in a way that makes sense for you an attitude of good-naturedness or in the way that we sit or the way that we approach our meditation, way of kindness towards ourselves. So we'll begin by doing mindfulness of the sensations of breathing. So you can focus on the feeling of the in and out breath. You might feel this with the air going in and out of the nose, the movement of the abdomen, or the movement of the chest. Whichever one of these feels the most compelling, or the easiest, or the most accessible, choose one of those, and then commit in a relaxed, easy way, but commit to bring in your awareness, your attention to the sensations of breathing. Can you tune into the subtleties of the sensations of breathing. What does it feel like to have an in-breath 
What does it feel like to have the beginning, the middle, and the end of the in-breath? If focusing on the breath doesn't work for you, no problem. You can choose another sensation, perhaps the contact of the seat or the chair or the cushion against your body, or maybe sounds. But whatever you choose, again, I'll use this word commit in a light and friendly way, just to rest your awareness on those sensations. Some people like to use a little note as they pay attention. This is a little word, kind of a whisper in the back of the mind. It might be something like in or out, if you're paying attention to the abdomen. Or maybe something like rising or falling. This is optional, only if you find that it helps. you're doing noting, can let the tone be calm and supportive. (laughs) You can do your best to stay with your object of focus, feeling every little bit of the sensations. For now, if you find yourself lost in thought, just very simply, very gently come back to the sensations of breathing. perfectly natural to be thinking. Most likely you've been thinking all day. If you find yourself lost in thoughts, just begin again with the sensations of breathing. Nothing needs to happen. There's nowhere else to be right now. And there's nothing to do except for us to our attention on the sensations of breathing.
So now that we're settled a little bit, if you find that your thinking persists or you have thoughts that are compelling, you can let the content take care of itself and let's look at the process. How do you experience thoughts? How do you know what a thought is? Are they images? Are they sounds? Maybe some thoughts are images, some are sounds. Most likely you won't notice when you're in the thought, but right when you wake up at the end of the thought, oh, was that an image or was that a sound? As best you can, letting the content uh, Just do whatever content does. Maybe some thoughts have really clear images, while some thoughts are hazy. Maybe some thoughts have one type of voice and other types of thoughts have different types of voices. Thinking is not the enemy. When we're doing mindfulness, we don't have to feel like thoughts shouldn't be arising. They are arising. We can just include them in our mindfulness. They might be subtle, they might be obvious. You might also notice a little bit about the content, like what type of boat, what the category of thoughts do you tend to experience? It's all perfectly fine, we're just noticing. Some people find it helpful to use the note thinking when they first wake up after being lost in thought as a way to kind of disconnect from some of the stickiness of thoughts.
So in this way we can do mindfulness of breathing. And when we notice that our thoughts are lost in thought and it feels compelling, we can look at the process of thinking. Or we can look at the type of content rather than getting lost in the content, which is so easy to do. Rather than thinking that we shouldn't have thoughts or pushing them away. So now I'll be silent for a bit. A bit. You may be having thoughts. When is this going to end? Can you notice those thoughts? What does that feel like? Is there a tone of voice associated with them? Maybe you have the thought, I don't want this to end. It was so nice, the quiet. Our thoughts aren't the enemy or a failing or something that shouldn't be happening while we meditate. It's what happens when we meditate. Sometimes we wake up after being lost in thought and just very simply, easily come back to the sensations of breathing. But can you be curious? What is that like, that moment of waking up, the preceding moment when you are lost in thought, and then thinking about thoughts? What are, what is, what are those experiences like? they too can be folded into mindfulness meditation. Everything, everything can be part of mindfulness meditation. Resistance, irritation, frustration, joy, love. And then to end this meditation, feel the pressure of the cushion or the chair or the floor against your body. Feel your feet on the ground. And when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. So it's perfectly normal, of course, to be having thoughts, just like our stomach may secrete digestive enzymes. In some ways, we can imagine that our mind secretes thoughts, as these, that's what the mind does. And it's not a problem unless we believe and hold things to be authoritative, every single one of our thoughts, or if we just uh, don't attend to them and allow them to push us around, even thoughts that aren't helpful, aren't supportive, maybe even untrue. 
So in this way, learning to be mindful either in formal meditation practice or while just in daily life, just turning towards the process of thinking, having a little bit of curiosity about the content of our, our habitual ways of thinking. And that way we can gain a little bit more freedom, a little bit more ease, as we're a little bit more available and present for our lives and what's actually happening. Often what's actually happening, our thoughts are arising, and if we're not getting too tangled up with them, they're fading away. Then another one arises, and it fades away. Then another one arises, and it fades away, on and on. They're not as permanent, they're not as steady, they're not as substantial, they're not as true as we often think that they are. And importantly, they're not a problem. They don't have to be a problem. If we have this idea that thoughts shouldn't be happening while we're meditating, suddenly they become a problem. So now I'd like to open it up to some questions or some comments. But how was that? The comments about what I've said or share how that meditation was for you? How many of you noticed that your thoughts were images? Anybody notice? Some people did. What about sounds? Sometimes they're like movies, right, that we get lost in. And sometimes being mindful of thinking allows us to realize, oh yeah, I'm in a movie theater and there's a projector that's happening and this isn't really here. But so often, right, we're lost in the movie. How many of you have ever thought about this? Our thoughts, what are thoughts? What are they? There's a question over here, Maureen. I have more of an observation than, than a question. I noticed um, things that were memory related, I would get a little flash of an image. Um, maybe a series of images related to the thing that had popped into my mind. There were other things that were sort of like orientation responses. It's, it's the microphone crackled a few times, and I opened my right eye to see what was going on, to monitor. So it was more of a of that investigation thing that goes on in whatever was behind that was um, I really couldn't see it was just more like oh what's that you know so that was nice it was it was a little different from the things that that um, in remembering something I there were some words that were almost sub vocalizations with thinking to myself and it was um, Those were sort of coarse, you know, where where I'm thinking about, oh, should I have the house inspector come out? And, oh, I don't think he's going to fit under the crawl space. And, you know, so you have these little images of, of these things that, that you're thinking about right now. And it's like, oh, I'm thinking about having the, the home inspector come out, you know, and while I'm meditating. And so that's, then I notice I'm entertained, right? And then you crackle, and it's like, oh. You know, is there something wrong with the microphone? And there's no... So there's this little series of things that are just like these little nudges that imply this network of thoughts and memories in my head. Yeah. You said something there that I thought was interesting. You said, oh, I'm having a thought about whether the housing inspector is going to come. So was that a memory of a thought that you had just had? 
it was a um, an observation. That I I have had an inspector come out in the past and, and analyze things, and I was thinking about having the same person come out. So I visualized this particular person twenty years later, and and then I realized that I was in this middle of this process. Yeah. This can be fascinating to look at, like, you know, thinking about thinking and having a memory of a thought. Like, what's the difference? It's an interesting thing to look at and to just investigate. Like, what, what is, what's the difference between a memory and a thought? Uh, um, the interesting thing to me was that um, I found myself thinking but like you said, I said, boy, I'm thinking a lie. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like working through a lie. <laughs> it's like, wait a second, <laughs> it's a lie. <laughs> so why are you going? Why are you going through a lie in so much detail? <laughs> it's a thought, right? You know. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and then often if we find things that like even they're not true, but they're there's compelling. And often we can gently inquire and see, is there an emotion underneath? Like, why, you know, what makes it so sticky and so compelling? Um, so my question concerns the why. Um, I heard someone say once uh, in the daydreams I have, I'm the star of my own movie, and that that fits me. Um, so uh, I've had this idea that... that uh, the reason I have such uh, compelling uh, daydreams that I come back to over and over again is uh, tied up in my upbringing and conditioning and and um, ways that I wasn't happy earlier in my life, and so I'm trying to build up my ego through these daydreams, and then just doing that turns into a habit uh, or maybe it's not important why just come back to the breath don't worry about the why any thoughts on this yeah I think this is fantastic so we start to notice that we have certain habits and of course they come from our upbringing and conditioning where else would they come from right it's just kind of our what we're exposed to but to our habits there's, I have two things to say. One is just as you said, Bill, that um, they're often like supporting or protecting or, maybe we'll just use those two words, supporting and protecting a sense of self, a view of ourself. But often this view of ourself doesn't need to be as supported and as protected as we are supporting and protecting it with these recurring thoughts. So... Once we notice it, like, oh, yeah, this is a habit, if we can just relax it a little bit, then you can may notice your sense of self maybe feels threatened or feels uncomfortable or something with this relaxation of the thoughts. Or maybe it feels like, oh, what a relief. I don't have to read if these fantasies, I think you said, I don't have to do this. I'm, I'm okay without it. I'm safe, I'm still here, I'm okay. People love me. Yes. And so it's a very interesting thing how our sense of self, if we can hold it in such in a relaxed way and allow it to be fluid, then often our thoughts will be relaxed and fluid too. And we can start with either one, whichever feels whatever's yeah. happening. Yeah, what's starting to happen for me is, is um, they, they, they've lost some of their intensity and they kind of... Maybe they don't go away, but they kind of hover there in the background. And uh, uh, that leaves some room left to follow the breath or other meditation focus. They lose some of their urgency over time. So um, maybe I'm not shutting them off completely, but 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 they're fading to the background. Yeah. And Bill, this is so often what happens is that they just start to go in the background 
instead of taking up all of our mental capacity, they're just kind of in the background there. Not, we're not as involved. We're, we still check in. We see them a little bit. But there's, as you said, a little more space. And in that space, some wisdom can arise, some new ideas can arise, something creative that we haven't thought about perhaps before can arise. If we just allow ourselves to have a little more space, but if we're so involved in our thoughts and always stuck in them, then there isn't that kind of space for something new and different, creative, wise, compassionate. Relaxed. Relaxed, right, right. Thank you. You're welcome. I think actually this is a good point that thoughts, sometimes we may think like thoughts should go away. This can happen, it does happen in deep meditation, but this isn't going to happen when we're sitting here, you know, and this, I shouldn't say it's not going to. The the conditions have to be set for that, and usually the conditions are a very experienced meditator, so with a certain amount of time. So we can just think like, oh, they just become a little bit less compelling and come back to the background. They don't ha- we don't have to make them go away. We don't make them go away anyway. That's not possible. They just somehow go away. Are there any other comments? With uh, regard to... Uh how, I don't know what you'd say, mood affects the thoughts or the, or how you perceive something that was going back to the story about going with your boss. Yeah, bring up my day today because I had a good physical therapy session and everything was fine. And then I missed the train. <laughs> And so I had an hour, because that's how long the interval is at that point. And I go to the restaurant, and in retrospect, so I had to have, do something, like have lunch. And, and I noticed my judgments, thought judgments of all the people coming in were more frequent than would happen otherwise when I thought otherwise I've gone there, you know, and that observation resonated when you were talking about that so I wanted to <laughs> comment on it yeah. and, then, and then it settled down and then later in the day things were fine and it wasn't happening so that was a yeah, interesting well, once we start to notice that the types of thoughts that we have are often so influenced by the preceding event and or our emotion or our mood then your thoughts start to be less authoritative. They start to feel like, oh, this is absolute truth because you can see how fickle they are, right? Just depending on what happened before. So sometimes I'll notice that I have hearing thoughts that are maybe doubtful, like, this isn't working, or what am I supposed to be doing? Okay. Doubt. (laughs) I'll label it. But then sometimes I have compassionate thoughts, right? So I'm giving myself loving kindness, compassion. Oftentimes when I notice that, then I'll begin that. So is loving kindness a thought? Or is it a skillful action? Are both? <laughs> <laughs> and how will having the answer to that question support you? I don't know. I guess I'm just thinking about thinking. Because <laughs> that's what we're talking about. So, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, most often, like if we'll call it loving kindness an emotion, if we want to call it an emotion, it's usually um, a, a component, a composite of a number of different things. There might be some thoughts, or it might just be a feeling in the body, it might just be this warmth, uh, spaciousness, and then as a consequence of this feeling, like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this nice thing for somebody else, or we're going to think about something else, or something like that. So, is it a skillful action, or is it a thought? I guess it's more of like a hearing myself giving my in response to that negativity or, you know, that I'm like, oh, wait, 
I can do something different than this. I know that that's not true. Oh, yes. I see. Oh, I see. In response, when you discover that a thought is actually not true or not helpful mm-hmm. to do some love and kindness or self-compassion or something. Mm-hmm. I think that's fantastic, Susan. I think that's really great. But then am I just thinking? Should I go back to my breath? Is that... I don't know. Yeah, so use your intuition. You can feel into this. You can do loving kindness until it starts to feel like this isn't helpful. It's too Mm -hmm. fake. I'm forcing it. This is weird. And you can just rub it and go back to the breath. So you can just just feel your way into it. Thank you. Okay. So thank you for your evening and... May your thoughts support you and nourish you and nurture you. Thank you.